So I told people we would record this so they could stay caught up if they needed to miss a week. Um, so we are going to dive in and um, spend, I think, about 12 weeks going through the book of Galatians. And it should be a really great study. I love Galatians a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> I love it because it's Paul at his most Paul. He's just, like, Paul is just this guy that is, he is, he's extremely intelligent. He's extreme, I mean, he's obviously a very godly man. He's also at times uh, arrogant and sarcastic. He's also at times angry and and that shows in his writings, and 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 Galatians has all of that. I mean, he is he is snarky and downright rude in this letter, to to a degree that when you read some of the things he writes in this letter, you're like, I can't believe that even made it into the Bible. And uh, but I, I love I love him so much for that. I really appreciate that style, and and uh, it obviously kind of resonates with me a little bit that way. So. Um, but he, you know, he's he as he writes this letter to the Galatians, he really kind of digs in to some problems that are going on at a church that he uh, helped start and loves, and he loves the people there, and so he feels very he feels a very uh, strong sense of attachment and probably some ownership about what goes on there, and so he gets very passionate about the situation, and and so we'll dive into all of that. It's really really a fantastic book. Uh, but, but this week, though, what we're going to do is we're going to hit the opening passage about first 10 verses in, in chapter 1, and then we're, we're going to jump to the very end and read the end of the book, uh, the, the last uh, paragraph or so there at the end, at the end of the letter, uh, because I think it really kind of encapsulates for us, you know, kind of diving in for the rest of the study exactly what it is he was trying to get at and what it is he's trying to accomplish it through this letter. Uh, so that's what we'll do. So... The book of Galatians, or the letter, it's actually a letter, the letter of, uh, that Paul wrote to the, uh, to the Galatian churches. It was, written, it was written to the Galatian churches. It wasn't written to one church in one city. Galatia is not a city. It's kind of a region. It was a district, kind of an area of the Roman Empire. And, uh, and so, in fact, I, there's a, a map there on your, um, on your page, and I kind of highlighted in yellow the area there that would be considered Galatia. And so it involves several different cities, and I'm sure that's not even all the cities that were there. <clears throat> but Paul helped really uh, establish the churches in those cities in that area. And normally the way Paul, when he went into a city, he would um, go in and, and, and you know, all of this, these areas of the Roman Empire typically had Jewish believers or Jewish people of Jewish faith in those cities. And they had established synagogues in those cities. And so usually the first thing that he would do was he as he was starting a church, he would go straight to the synagogue because that's where he had the strongest connection with people, similar heritage, similar belief structure, all that kind of stuff. And so he would go there and begin to proclaim Jesus. And if if the message, if the gospel took off, that was great. And if it didn't, then he would dig into other areas of the city to people who were more ready to listen to it or, or whatever you know. So he just he never knew what kind of reception he was going to get. He also never knew what kind of reception he was going to get in terms of what his reputation was. Because not only was you know not only did he have the reputation I described earlier, but he also had this reputation of a guy who would who had a history of killing Christians. And so before he was Paul, he was Saul, a Pharisee, and very passionate about, very zealous about his faith. And so um, yeah, he was a persecutor of Christians. And so you know there were uh, by this point the churches around that area of the world had gotten to know most of them had gotten to know the word that he had been converted, but you still never knew. I mean, you never knew. He, he, I mean, imagine being a guy who had been persecuting Christians all over that area of the world. And then you go in, you've changed your mind about things. You go into that congregation and not everybody's going to accept you. Cause guess what? You had my husband locked up or you had, you know, whatever. And so, um, so yeah, yeah his, his reception was always a little bit mixed, but so one of the interesting things about the book of, yeah, go ahead. I, just, I hadn't noticed until this map, but it's, it's also very close to his hometown. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you can see there, uh, right on the outskirts there, uh, Tarsus is where he was from, Saul of Tarsus. And so that, that's exactly right. So and, and feel free to jump in with questions or comments or anything, um, and, and that, that's totally fine. So um, one of the interesting things about this book is that it, it, is, uh, it was written in the late 40s A.D., 
Um, and so with that time frame, it's most likely the very first New Testament book that was written, that was actually put, you know, pinned to parchment, right? And so um, the very first, I mean, before they had gospels, they were starting to circulate these, these epistles. And, uh, and very quickly, as when Paul and, Paul and Peter and John, some of the others started writing these epistles, they started circulating them around the churches pretty quickly because it, as they read most of them, they, they realized there's something special about this and other churches need to hear this message. They need to get a, get a hold of this and, and, uh, and share this. So they were beginning to share it and spread it. And, and, uh, and it wasn't uh, very much you know, longer that they began to view them on par with scripture. So you have in, I don't remember, either first or second Peter, where Peter's talking about Paul's letters, and Peter says, I see you've been reading uh, Paul's letters along with the other scriptures. In other words, you, they kind of view them as equal uh, with the other scriptures. And, uh, and Peter's comment is basically, he says hard things, good luck. <laughs> you know, he's like, it's like, good luck with that, well, you know, because his, his stuff is pretty deep. And so... Uh, but yeah, late 40s is when it was written, probably the first uh, New Testament book written, written to the churches of Galatia. Uh, the key themes of this letter are uh, this idea of true apostleship. There's some handouts right there by your knees, buddy. Right, some handouts right there. Yep. Um, the concept of true apostleship, which we're going to get into tonight. Uh, what's the, what the true gospel is, because a lot of stuff was uh, going around in, in terms of you know, uh, a false gospel that was being preached. And then the, the, the overarching concept of salvation by grace and faith alone. And he really, I mean, if, if you're looking for, if you're looking to study that, that idea of, you know, that our salvation is by grace alone and by faith alone, uh, this is the book to go to. I mean, because he really digs into it hard and makes a, a strong case for that. Um, and so, so that's it. So let's dive into the scripture. Before we dive into the scripture, does anybody have any questions about Paul or the background of this letter or anything like that? Any at all? Alright. So, by the way, here's the deal. I, uh, my plan is, in future weeks, I'm going to tear some ta- uh, chairs down and set up tables so it's a little more comfortable feeling. Uh, but I didn't know how many to expect, so I didn't do it this week. But I have a, a rough idea now, so we'll have uh, tables and chairs set up for you next week. Alright, so... Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. You can follow along in your Bible, or I've printed the scripture for you if you want to do that. So it says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Now, right out of the gate, it's pretty typical when Paul would write a letter, he would start with his name and his his rank, so to speak, and and, uh, and so... Like before he even gets a sentence out, he's like Paul, an apostle, and then he takes some time to explain exactly what he means by that. And the reason he does that is because this is a major reason he's writing this letter. So he's like, I'm an apostle, and then he clarifies, I'm not an apostle that that somebody, you know, one of you guys promoted to the position of apostle. It didn't that position didn't come through man or from a man, but it came from or through Jesus Christ and from God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he's he's right out of the gate going. The person who made me an apostle is Jesus Christ. All right, so I put some um, some terms over there on on this side of your sheet to kind of look at that, that word apostle. Literally means one who is sent. And in the early church, apostles were people that Jesus sent out, or that Jesus kind of commissioned to do his work. That he directly commissioned them. So. Not anybody could be an apostle in the early church. It had to be somebody who had direct connection to Jesus. So you have the, 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 the 12 disciples that are referred to as apostles and, and, and then Paul who refers to himself as apostle because uh, even though he, he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples, um, but he got a direct commission from Jesus himself. And so with that said, does, does anybody remember what Paul's conversion story is? Like what, what's, what's his conversion story? Anybody? What's that? On the, on the road to Damascus, he was struck blind. Yeah. Jesus visited him. Yep. Struck blind on the road to Damascus, on the way to persecute some more Christians, and uh, and Jesus appears to him. And was it for three days? Three days, yeah. 
yeah, blind for three days. And so, uh, and we're going to get into more of that story actually next week with some really, really fascinating stuff. But, um, but his whole point, because basically what had happened is, you know, he had gone around starting these churches and these other teachers were coming behind him because uh, they didn't like his way of doing things and the message that he was preaching. And so they started correcting all his churches to say he's not even really an apostle. He's not, he's not, even, he's not even one of the guys that was with Jesus. He kind of made himself an apostle. Or, or, or the church, the last church he was in made him an apostle. And so his comment is, no, 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 that came directly from Jesus. No, no man made me an apostle. And so he, he's very clear to kind of get that out of the way right, right out of the beginning. We don't ever know who the other people were behind. Which mean, other people? I mean, there's people going in behind him saying that he's, but we don't know who those other people were. They're just other teachers. We don't necessarily know them by name, uh-huh. but we know that they were, most of the time, not all the time, there were some different groups that were kind of bad-mouthing him and his work, but most of the time it was Jewish Christians who were more uh, concerned about the Jewish law than they were about Jesus' new kingdom. Okay. And so they were trying to, as we'll see as we dive in here, they were, they were really trying to, um, they wanted Jewish converts, not just Christian converts. They wanted Jewish converts. And so... Uh, Paul's message really conflicted with that concept, and so they were going around trying to mess all that up. So, good. All right. So then he says to the to the churches of Galatia. This is who he's writing to. He says, "Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen." Now, this is a, a pretty typical. Um, introduction to one of Paul's letters like he, he, he generally kind of I mean you could usually the introductions to his letters you could make into some sort of theological statement that the whole church would recite or something you know it, it really kind of usually had Trinitarian language things like that just to kind of and, and he's, he's very intentionally you know talking very clearly about Jesus so he wants people to know exactly where he's coming from what his goals are what, what you know who, who it is he's serving all that kind of stuff so now he gets into his message, or, or kind of the, the meat of why he's writing. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are, there, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So um, that's the next term over there is that gospel. Somebody read what, what is typed there. Just read it out loud where it says gospel literally means good news. The gospel of the church was that God had sent Jesus to rescue his people. All right. So, yeah, that word gospel was not a, even a Christian word. It was a Roman word. You know, if, if, if uh, somebody had a good news announcement about, you know, a new prince had been born or a war had been won or something like that, then some, then some herald would stand up in the town square and present a gospel good news message. And so the, the Christians kind of took that term for themselves and said, no, we've actually got the actual good news. And, and that good news, the gospel, is literally that we needed a rescuer and Jesus is that rescuer that God sent. That's, that's pretty much the gospel right there. Um, and so he's saying, he's saying out of the gate here that I can't believe you're already embracing a different gospel. Now, I told you earlier that probably the year 48, 49 is when this letter was written. This church was only started two, three, maybe four years before that. So it's still a brand new church, right? And he would usually, when he would start a church, he would usually stay there a year, year and a half, and then move on and start another church. I mean, that was his passion was starting churches. And so um, that's why he's like, I can't believe, like I, I, I'm barely, I'm fresh out of town and you guys are already turning to a different gospel. What, what, what in the world's going on there, you know? And he says, not that there is another one. Um, but then he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he's really trying to get them back to remembering exactly the way the gospel was presented to them when he was there before. He's like, don't let anybody sway you. Don't let anybody... You know, try to add stuff that's not that's unnecessary. Um, I was just thinking though that, like, 
I'm sure this was, I mean, <laughs> this is the first New Testament book, the first one that was written. So they didn't even have like a library of resources to keep them on track. You know, it was all, you know, oral. It was all preaching and teaching and, you know, that sort of thing. And so um, thank God that, you know, he and others like him took time to write these things down and start getting this information out so that they could stay faithful to those original teachings. That was a really big deal, really big deal. So then he says this. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so the reason he goes into this whole thing about am I, am I trying to seek out the approval of man is because the guys who were coming around behind him, bad-mouthing him and his version of the gospel, were saying things like Paul was just preaching an easy gospel. Just preaching, he just wanted to make it easy for everybody to believe. He didn't give you all the information about how you actually need to convert, and that you, if you're not Jew, you, Jewish, you actually do need to be circumcised, and all this kind of stuff. You got to be a full-on Jew, or this doesn't apply to you. And and he's he's like he's just trying to make this easy gospel presentation, right? Has anybody heard, ever hear that about churches nowadays? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy, right? Like, and who do you normally hear that uh, thrown against? That, that that accusation thrown against? Anybody? Olstein. Huh? Olstein, that guy. Okay. <laughs> you said Olstein? Okay. Who else? I mean, not, not, ne- Sorry, not necessarily I've any... Heard, I've just heard. No, that's I good. I don't know anything about That's good. It. Not necessarily any names in particular, but who, what churches tend to get that accusation? Oh, you're just preaching some easy gospel. Non-denominational mega churches. There you go. Both of you are right. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Mega churches, oh, okay. non-denominational churches, you know, Super that... Secret. Exactly, exactly. And and Christians have this habit of whenever anything gets popular, inside or outside the church, anything that gets popular, there's going to be a whole bunch of Christians that jump all over and go, oh, this is is either wicked or this church is just preaching some sort of easy gospel. They don't even tell the whole truth, which Joel Osteen gets a lot of that accusation against him as well. And, And all, you know, a lot of, just a lot of anything that people are actually going to, we're going to attack it, right? And it's really sad to watch that happen. In fact, I got a, I, I was talking with Jamie about it earlier. I got an email yesterday from a, a wackadoo blogger in Washington, D.C. that is one by one going through our district of churches right now okay, trying to pick them off. That, I didn't know if it was real or yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just, it's just this crazy guy that that's all he does is he just he picks out groups of churches around the nation and he just tries to bait them into a fight and blogs about it he's not even a part of our denomination he's just he's just this crazy guy in dc and and so when you have i mean there's always going to be people who do that sort of thing and and the best thing to do normally is to go yeah whatever you know you, what you're doing doesn't really impact us until it does right and i think paul had reached that point of until it does because now the whole gospel message inside this church and what these people were being taught to believe was so contrary to what he had taught them and what was true, what was the true message of Jesus that he felt a need, I've got to get involved, I've got to send a message, I've got to do something, right? And so, but yeah, that, uh, that whole concept of it, this easy gospel, I mean, the truth of the matter is though that um, I've seen very churches that actually preach an easy gospel. Uh, it's not, nine times out of ten, it's just people who want to attack something that's working or something that is successful or, or whatever else. Are there churches out there who preach false gospels? Absolutely there are. There sure there are. But I wish there was a list of them. <laughs> that scares me. I'll give you that guy's email. He'll, he'll give you a list. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there, there are, but this is why it's so important to know, to know the scripture, to have a relationship with the word of God because rather than, you know, seeking to put together a list, like with me and with you know others uh, you know who have developed kind of fine-tuned this in their life when you're when you have a solid relationship with the word of god and somebody preaches something even somebody you love even somebody you respect who might occasionally say something that'll just make your ears perk up and go i don't know what i think about that you know that that, that sort of thing i'm sure some of you have heard me say something off the cuff that i didn't put a lot of thought into that you're like i don't know what i think about that and I, I appreciate that. And some of you occasionally will come to me and say, did you really mean that when you said that? And, and, and then I have to think back if I did or not, and, or if it was just this, you know, 
diarrhea of the mouth moment and and uh, and so so but yeah i think it's good we hold each other accountable and we we keep the gospel central rather than following personalities uh blindly who might lead us any any direction right and so um so yeah develop that so your thoughts on uh like because a lot of the mega churches uh do you know you can find their youtube sermons mm-hmm. And so I like to listen to those during the week, like Craig Groeschel. Yeah. I like to listen to him. Yes. I just want to know if I'm doing the right thing. By I listening. like Craig. Sc- okay. I, I like Craig. I think, I got, I think he's a you, really I good know preacher. you played one of his things one time in here. Yeah. That's actually how I looked him up, but I just, I get scared that I don't, I don't want yeah. to listen yeah, to the I think the, here, Here's the deal. That most churches, again, nine times out of ten, most churches are preaching the same message. Where people start attacking is usually, it, well, it doesn't normally revolve around the message. What it most normally revolves around is the method. Somebody doesn't like the method they're using of growing their church or their programs or, you know, they got rid of something that another church considers sacred, you know, or, or a tradition or, or whatever. So they, they jump in and start attacking those things. Or they pick up, and, and then once, they, once they've decided I'm going to stand against that person, then they pick apart every little word that person ever says try to catch them in something that they can criticize, that they can blog about, that they can, you know, whatever else. And, and the truth of the matter is, when, you're, when you stand before congregation, you know, for 30 minutes to an hour every week, all year long, for years at a time, you're going to occasionally say something, one, that could very easily be pulled out of context, or two, that, like, I wish I could say I think through every single word that comes out of my mouth before it comes out of my mouth. But sometimes it comes out on the spot. Most often it comes, for me anyway, it comes out on the spot. And there are often times that I, you know, I'll listen to the podcast later on and go, oh, I wish I would have said that differently, you know. It doesn't mean my heart's in the wrong place. It just means my mouth can't always catch up to my, my brain, you know. And so, um, but it's easy. You can you name any preacher anywhere, any personality you can pick apart with presidents, preachers, anybody who teachers. gets up and for teachers, anybody. anybody that stands up in front of people and talk, you can pick apart if you want to bad enough, anything that they say. Not Trump. Huh? Not Trump. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You don't have to get up for that. I'll, uh, I'll leave that right there. All right. So, um, so he, so here at the end of this, he's he's just very clearly going. Does it really? Do I really seem like the guy who cares what people think? Do you really think I'm the one that's seeking the approval of men? That I was out there preaching. Like, think about what I told you when I was with you. The kind of gospel and whole, you know, holy living that I proclaimed to you. Did did it really seem like I was trying to give you some sort of easy gospel, easy message? And uh, and then he, he he closes that out there. He says, if I were. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that word servant is the same word. It's, it's the Greek word is doulos. And it's the same word that we that is also slave. It literally means slave. And somebody read that definition of slave there on the right-hand side. Servant or slave, a person who is legally owned by someone else or whose entire livelihood and purpose was determined by their master. All right, so that, that, that's Paul going... This is not me trying to make you guys like me. I'm not serving you. I'm serving God. And what I preach and what I teach and the way I live my life around you had nothing to do with me trying to gain favor with you. I did that because God called me into this life. He's the one that dictates. I love that that phrase. Uh, he dictates my livelihood and my purpose, right? I, I'm, I'm not in control of that. I'm his slave. And so uh, I just, that's such a great... Uh, attitude to have about your life like my livelihood and my purpose in life is not chosen dictated by me it's I, I, I serve at the pleasure of the king right I, yeah I think a big part of Paul's revisiting of this uh, you know, is that and, and I see it a lot at work you know I really really hate when I have to do something over again mm. you know I've done something I've done my good work I've passed it on it's ready to go and some pinhead who gave me bad information up front, you know, and now I've got to do it again. Or someone's changing what I, what, what, you know, the circumstances, i got to redo the work. I mean, I do it all the time, and it drives me crazy. Yeah. And I see that in Paul. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's out there, and he's planting these churches. He's, you know, setting the thing. 
they're moving on, and then he's hearing that, that he's got to go back and, and, and fix that. And, he, and he's only, you know, he knows he only has a limited amount of time, and he's a huge territory to remember. Yeah. And, you know, so it's got to kill him to have to go back and, you know, smack these guys around a little bit. Yeah. I think you're right, but I think it's I think it's even more emotional for him than that. I think it's it's more along the lines of a of a parent who has somebody coming in behind them trying to convince their kids that they're not who they think their dad's not who he, he says he is. You know, and I think it's uh, I mean, there's been a couple times in my life where I've I've been very angry because of conversations people have had with my kids about me, right? Like, I don't need, like, I, I can get myself into enough trouble with my kids. I don't need you helping me. And so, like, and I think there is that, I mean, he feels that sense of spiritual fatherhood to this group of believers. And he's like, how dare you? How dare you come in and not just badmouth me, but change the whole gospel? It's, you know, it's, 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 that's not okay. Not okay. So that's the first part of chapter one. Now we're going to jump to the end of the, end of the letter. Because this is where he, he, he dials in a little harder on what it is he's, He's really going to be talking a lot about uh, throughout this letter as he kind of sums it up. And, and uh, uh, so, so chapter six, starting with verse eleven. So, uh, he, the first thing he says is this: He says, "See with what large letters I'm writing you with my own hand." Now, the reason he says that right there is because it was pretty common for Paul to use what what they called an amanuensis. An amanuensis is was just a scribe, somebody who he could dictate a letter to. And, and so almost all his letters, and some, sometimes he even lets them say hi in the middle of his letter. Um, but he would very often use somebody else to kind of, as he dictated it, they would write it down. But it was very, and, and that wasn't just Paul. That was common with people who sent letters, you know, all over that, in, in that time, in that area of the world. And, uh, and what would normally happen is that after the scribe got done, you know, writing down the letter, they would hand it then to the person who had been dictating it. And that person would then take the pen and sign their name to it, right? And so that's what's happened. The, the, the letter has just been handed off to Paul by his scribe. And, and then Paul now says, see with what, rather than just, than just signing his name, he, he, he gives a little extra. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So here, here we see, and he talks about this all throughout the rest of the letter. We'll get to it eventually. But this was really one of the key sticking points of what was going on in this church was this group would come in and say, no, you can't be followers of Jesus unless you're also a true Jew. You need to be circumcised because this is for the Jewish people. It's not just for anybody and everybody, right? For God so loved the world didn't really mean the world. It just meant the Jews. So make yourself a Jew first. And so there was, and so somebody read what I um, wrote there by circumcised over on the right hand side. Nobody wants to read it. <laughs> the cutting the off guys of, don't. The cutting <laughs> off of foreskin, male circumcision was a major mark of religious identity for the Jews. Alright, so this dates all the way back to Abraham in, in the book of Genesis. That's when God first set up this covenant relationship with Abraham, Abraham and his offspring. And that whole situation of uh, circumcision was the mark of that covenant. So if, if you were, you know, if you were a circumcised man uh, of the people of Israel, then you were a part of that covenant. So the circumcision was a big, big deal uh, in that faith. Still is a big deal in that faith. Um, and so for a guy, period. It's right. It is. <laughs> but imagine if you're a late in life convert being told it's a big deal. Uh, that, that's a whole. That's a whole different conversation, right? Yes, it is. Um, and Except so. For the time that What's that? In the desert. They didn't do it then. Right. Had to have it done when they were an adult. That's true. That's true. One of my favorite one of my favorite stories in Genesis is when uh, one of Jacob's daughters it's, I'm laughing like this is funny. It's not funny. <laughs> when one of Jacob's daughters is raped by a neighboring tribe and and the brothers want to go kill everybody in this town. And and so they they kind of want to make things right and not be killed, and so uh, so they're trying to strike up a peace agreement. And so the brothers of of this sister say to, say to the this the, the men in this town, okay, uh, we'll consider you part of our family, uh, but you all have to be circumcised. And so all the men in this town were circumcised, and then 
And then the very next phrase in, in Genesis says, and while they were still sore, they went in and killed them all. Right? <laughs> they just killed them all. So they, 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 they caught them off their guard, right? And, and, uh, and so, I mean, but I don't know. I got a sick sense of humor, but I, I find that hilarious. But <laughs> Really? <laughs> Would never yeah, know. It, so, but that circumcision, that was a big deal to the Jewish faith. And so here you've got people. Now, Jesus starts his kingdom transformation with the Jews, right? And, and now they're being told that that doesn't really matter anymore. Where for centuries and centuries, it was a prime thing in their faith. And so it made a lot of people uncomfortable with the fact that you, how, how can you just throw this out? I, every forefather I, I know of, all the way back to Abraham, you know, followed this tradition. Why would you just throw this out? And, and Paul gets into in this book why, why that is actually necessary. Uh, and that there are new signs of the covenant now, uh, you know, under Jesus Christ. But he says, um, he says, um, they would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He's like, he's like speaking of somebody wanting an easy gospel message. This is them, these guys getting out of an easy gospel. They don't want to be unpopular in their own circles. They don't want uh, circles. They don't want to be uh, persecuted by their own people. So that's why they're, you know, they're the ones taking the easy route. He says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, I highlighted that, that phrase, Israel of God, because this is something that comes up a lot in Paul's writings, especially in the book of Romans. Um, this idea of, of, well, who is, I mean, if just a little quiz, who's been paying attention around here, who is the Israel of God now? Yeah, exactly right. All of us, all of us who follow Jesus Christ, that's the true Israel now, uh, that, that part of what Jesus did in the inauguration of his kingdom and that Paul, Paul makes very clear in his writings, but explains it very well in his writings is that Israel is no longer national Israel. It, true Israel are those who follow the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That the definition of what it means to be Israel has been completely redefined un, under Jesus Christ. And so, so the, the family of God is not just Israel. It's now a worldwide family. It's a worldwide family. And again, this was making a lot of kind of Jewish nationalist uh, type personalities very uncomfortable. They didn't like that. They didn't like the inclusion. I mean, they, they'd gone centuries of centuries thinking they were God's chosen people better than everybody else on the planet. And now all of a sudden, everybody can just get in willy-nilly. And, uh, and Paul's like, yeah, basically, that's, that's, that's what it is. And, uh, and so he says, so um, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be, be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Okay, so that's how he closes out the letter. Now, I want to I focus in on that, that phrase, that next to last sentence there, where he says, um, you know, don't cause me trouble, because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Um, it... it is there anything about that phrase that might jump out to you? Is he comparing his his marks, the marks of Jesus, to some other mark? Do you think? I, I mean, Paul was beaten and stoned, and you know, yes, not the good kind, shipwrecked, yeah, not the good, <laughs> not the good stone. Um, you know, I mean, there were serious scars, you know, on, yeah. on him and, you know, and injuries that he was carrying. Yeah. For, for the cause of Christ. And yeah. I think that's what he's referring to. Yeah, it is. It is. But he's, he's drawn a, a direct comparison between those marks that his body ha, his body has. I mean, he, he was beaten and whipped and everything else. I mean, he was one of those guys that could take off his shirt and you could see how much he loved Jesus, right? And so, but to a bunch of people who have been going behind him saying, you need a very specific mark on your body to be accepted into God's family. And here he's saying... 
none of those marks matter. The marks that matter are, are you being persecuted as our brother Jesus was persecuted? Are you, are you, are you laying your life down for him? Do you, does your body bear those marks? Do you have some horror stories that you could still tell because you were faithful to Christ? Those are the marks that matter. And, uh, and so, he, again, it's this redefinition of what are, under, under Jesus and his kingdom, what are the marks of that new covenant? What, and so, now we're, we're 2,000 years into the church age, so, like, what are the marks of our covenant with Christ? Not all of them are physical. Some of them are symbolic. Yep, baptism's one. We, uh, baptism is a is a symbol of the covenant. Wearing uh, a cross. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Your WWJD bracelet. <laughs> no. Huh? Communion is another one. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Those things are. I think. I think it's the, it's 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 the faithfulness that might occasionally lead to persecution. It's ba- it's the symbol of baptism. It's the symbol of of the Lord's Supper. Those are the things that that we hold in because we were commanded to in scripture in the new testament we hold those things in high regard because those are the symbols of that new covenant of grace that we have uh with god um sunday we uh, we were doing our um uh lhc 101 class and i spent a little bit of time talking about grace and uh i've got a sketchy relationship with that word uh just because uh, I grew up in a very, very legalistic environment um, and really didn't have a, a strong concept of what God's grace was until I was in my mid-20s. Um, I lived in, in this constant fear of, of letting God down or dying with unconfessed sin or, you know, what, whatever. I, you know, I just I had this kind of mentality that if I sinned and I didn't take care of it and then I died, then... I was probably going to go to hell, you know, and, and it was just this very, it was fear-based religion is what it was. And, and it wasn't until I hit my mid-20s and really dove into certain scriptures and read certain books that really helped me understand it better, but that I really be, started to understand exactly how much God loved me, loves me, right? That, it, that it's not a performance-based love. It's it's a love that transcends that when when Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I embraced that faith and asked Him to forgive me of my sins, um, my sins were forgiven not just the ones I had committed but all the ones I ever would commit. And that when God sees me, He doesn't see my sin. Instead, He sees the righteousness of Christ. And and there's freedom in that. And that's why you know that's why. we're calling this unlocking freedom the study unlocking freedom because when you really begin to understand grace and that it's not based on outward religion or it's not based on how good you can be or how little you mess up or sin or or whatever else you know that God's view of you and your salvation aren't based on any of that when you begin to understand that there is a incredible freedom in that um like a game-changing freedom, where, like, I no longer um, just like worry and fret about my sins. I just I don't. Like I sin. I still sin. I still I still have things I need to ask for forgiveness for in terms of you know when I sin against people, I sin against my wife or my kids or whoever else, and I got to go to them and make things right, and I and I got to do that, and 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 I still follow a pattern of if if I. If I'm aware of my sin, I want to confess that to God as well. Even though I know that sin is covered, I just know I want to keep the air clean between me and God, right? I'm not trying to earn favor with him or anything like that. It's just it's just I love him, and so I want that communication to be open and honest. But so as a person who still sins, when I sin, it doesn't throw me for a loop anymore. It doesn't throw it doesn't it doesn't derail my faith or make all this fear rise up in me or anything else like that. Instead, I just, I, I live in gratitude. Thank God. God loves me and he's forgiven me. 
and yeah I didn't want to do that and I hate that I did that whatever it was and but thank God thank God grace is good God is good right and so so yeah and Paul will dive into this in this letter too but it's not that we just say well since there's grace do whatever you want no there's 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 standards of holy living that are spelled out for us in, in scripture and and that holy living has nothing to do with us earning favor with God or earning our salvation. It just has to do with the fact that if we say we love God, then let's live the lives that he's created us to live. And so, but that, that I, I, you've heard me say it a dozen times, a dozen times a dozen probably, uh, that I didn't get freedom. I didn't understand that kind of, people talked about freedom. I'd read scriptures about freedom. I didn't get it. Like, where's this freedom? It seems like everybody else got more freedom than I've got, right? And, uh, and it wasn't until I began to understand the depth of God's love for me and uh, the kind of once and for, for all act of, of Christ on the cross covering all the sins of my life that I really began to understand that freedom. Oh, I don't have to live in this fear anymore. I don't have to live in this shame or regret or whatever. I can, I can just keep following God. Because that's that's really that's what the Christian life is all about. It's not about you becoming good; it's about you be, just following God. And good people will follow God, or at least people who think they are. And not so good people can follow God too. Which is kind of it's kind of messed up when you think about it. That because because that's the way our culture thinks is that well, if I'm good enough, then there's a good place for me when I die. And the Bible turns that idea totally on its head and goes, it has nothing to do with good. There'll be lots of good people that might wake up on the other side of eternity and not be where they thought they were going to be. That it has nothing to do with good. It has to do with Jesus. Are you following Jesus? Are you faithful to him? And so, I don't know. I find a lot of hope in that. I find like... like <laughs> It's like hope for losers, right? It's like, it's like okay, I, 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 if that's if that's the rules of the game, then I'm I'm okay, then, right? And so, and and that's the beautiful part of Paul's message, which is really, Paul is such an unlikely biblical hero, because nobody, I mean, Paul more than anybody should have should he should have been the the legalist guy that was running around behind Peter, right? And he was just this. Pharisee of Pharisees, the most legalistic person in the history of the world, and he's not the one who should have got this. And yet, because of Paul, we can better understand this. You know, it's just it's fascinating. And so, when we dive in next week, we're going to really dive into a little bit more about his conversion story. And there's there's some there's a detail in this passage at the end at the end of uh, chapter one next week that might be shocking to some of you because you've probably glazed over it your whole life and never there's a, there's a really surprising detail in there that I think it's, it's exciting I'm a Bible nerd it's exciting to me but but it's it's a really it's a really interesting detail but um, I, I'm just curious you, does anybody else have a like what's your relationship with grace in terms of how you understand it now versus how you used to understand it or is it something you still struggle with yeah. I think I'm better at it now. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I'm not sure where I learned legalism, but that's what the majority of my younger years was in my Christian walk. I think it was just because it was easier to follow the rules. Part of what kept me from Christ so long was that I didn't think I was good enough, that I had to be perfect before I could, you know, enter yeah. his kingdom. And so I guess it was partly part of my personality. So when I came to Christ, I, the rules were easy. That just made it easy. The idea that someone could love me unconditionally without me ever having to do anything for them was just so foreign. Um, you know, I had to work to earn my parents' respect or earn their love or, you know, get good grades. It seems like I was always having to work to be accepted. And the fact that I could just be accepted for who I am in all that muck and guff um, was just un unimaginable. And it's been a long road. It's been a lot of people in my life, you know, pouring into me, having a lot of rough spots where people have... Um, how we walked through that and still have been, you know, friends, still loved each other or whatever. 
that's really helped to impact that, that lesson that Christ loves you no matter what. Yeah, yeah. we all screw up, but he still loves you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, you're talking about kind of er- latching on to that legalism early in your faith. I, I think it's the easiest sin to latch on to. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the one we have to constantly, no matter how old, you know, how mature, old a Christian you are, we constantly have to remind ourselves to not be legalistic because it's so easy to start comparing and, uh, you know, or to pile rules on top of rules, you know, yeah. Um, it's funny because that's, that's exactly what I wrote down when we were talking about uh, the churches and <clears throat> things like that, the easy gospel and things. Usually the people or the churches that are the most critical of that, they, they are rule followers, whether it's the church or as an individual, there are some people, they want black and white. Mm-hmm. I want, this is a sin, and this is not, and that's the easy possible for them. Yeah. And it's so hard when it's like, wait, that could be sin for you, but not for you, and we don't really know for sure, or yeah. they don't like that. Yeah. And that's where the criticism comes from. The truth is, though, that, like that the gospel is easy. Like the message of salvation, it's easy salvation. It's too easy. It's I easy mean, salvation. It's too easy. It's it like, like, like it's not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's cheap. Like Christ's sacrifice meant something, mm-hmm. but it is the the path to salvation is easy. Now, the the path beyond that of of you know living a life completely committed to Christ and submitting yourself completely to Him and to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God, that's not so easy. Right? That's that takes a lifetime to get right, and then you still don't, but you get a certificate at the end anyway, right? And and so, right? It's like well, there was one medal that we we wore in the army. That, I don't even remember what it was called. Some one of you would probably remember what it was, but anyway, we just called it the "Thanks for Showing Up" medal because just everybody got it, right? And so, you mean but like yeah, the basic training one or the yeah yeah that one. one. So it's it, it there is that kind of you know. It all gets taken care of at the end, and we all get rewarded in the end. But the path to get there, can, it can be difficult. I mean, it, none of us want to change. None of us want to give up the selfish parts of our lives and, and you know, things like that. So that, that road is difficult. But, the, but the, the getting through the gates of the kingdom, it's incredibly easy. You just have to, be, you just have to put your faith in Jesus. That's it. That's all there is to it. And so, yeah. It's, it's good. I love this book so much. I can't wait to dive into it deeper. It really starts. I'm telling you, Paul is unbelievable in this book. He's 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 so funny. I love him so much. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts, uh, questions? I think just when I broke it down easily for me was the difference between grace and mercy. Yeah. Grace is what God gives you that you do not deserve. Mercy does not. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. I tried to find a checklist when I started here. I still try some sort of checklist, you know, to tell me what I'm doing, what I should be doing. How many minutes a day should I read the Bible? How many minutes a day should I pray? How how should I do all this? There's no checklist to follow. So I'm glad. I'm grateful for the grace thing because I. And I live off of checklists. That's why you started cleaning church. So can we give you I a did, checklist? I needed a checklist. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a checklist. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. You know, and then the St. Paul is the one who wrote Romans. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's some great stuff in Romans where you talk about, you know, uh, grace and, 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 and what happens when you, you receive the grace and, and sin. And, and should you keep sinning because that, then you get more grace, right? But in, in that whole back and forth, I, I always found that very, very valuable because, you know, like you say, you can you, you can find checklists galore if you look hard enough. They're they're there. You know, I mean, people yeah. will be happy to share them with you. Mm-hmm. He's got a blogger that's got a guy. <laughs> but I mean, there's checklists galore, but they're but they don't but matter. They don't what matter. Exactly. Is that you know you've been covered? Yeah. All your sin that you like you said is, is done. Yeah. And yet, that doesn't mean, oh, okay, well, let's just go you know, hop on the gravy train and let's, let's send, a, send away. No, that's not it either. Yeah. You know, and that whole, 
thing, you know, Romans 5, 6, 7, right through there, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a great treatise on that. Yeah. I think that there's a, um, a fine line in it, because, like you said, you don't want to just, continue, you don't want to just, like, okay, I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want. But it's hard also because you tend to really beat yourself up when you do things that you know are not appropriate or yeah. right and so I think there's a fine line because you don't you you don't want to just keep doing it but at the same time you have to forgive yourself when you have asked for forgiveness and move on and I think that's one of the hardest parts for me is forgiving myself and not replaying it over and over and banging myself over the head with a yeah. club because of it because yeah. I do that I think it is it is a there's a balance to be struck because there are some things worth beating ourselves up over in the same way in, in your relationship with your, you know, with your family or, or, you know, whoever it is in your life that you, you just love the most. When you let that person down, I beat myself up over letting my kids down or letting my, my family. Why? Because they deserve better from me. I know how much they depend on me and how much they love me. And, and I, I don't want to be this uncaring jerk that can, would take advantage of that love and I, th- I think there's an element of that in our relationship with God where it's I'm not trying to be a better person because I I think I'm somehow going to impress God I'm trying to be a better person because of how much I love him mm-hmm. and because of how much I know he loves me mm-hmm. and there should be a weight I mean when you when you enter into a, a relationship with God or a person where that where love gets intense, there's a weight to that love. I mean, there's a genuine weight to it to where you got to go. There's um, this guy, uh, pastor in Germany from, from World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, he's a really interesting guy too because he was involved in two or three assassination attempts in, on Hitler's life and was eventually arrested for trying to assassinate him and, and uh, was Hitler's pet prisoner. But, um, but here's this pastor that he writes this book, The Cost of Discipleship, and he coins this phrase in this book called cheap grace. And it's that idea that it's kind of what Paul tries to get at in different portions of his letters that if you have this idea that you can just kind of live however you want to live because of grace, then you don't really, un- you're, you've cheapened the sacrifice of Christ. You don't really get it. You really don't understand it. And, and so, so yeah, holy living happens, but it happens from a position of, it happens from a position of love. It doesn't happen by trying to earn love. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah. Love is the root, uh, you know, as the soil where that kind of holy living should grow, not trying to earn God's favor, not trying to earn God's love. The love is there. And so I have to respond the way a decent person responds. I've been trying to teach my nieces that they come to church occasionally with me here, and they, um, they're always saying, they always make comments that, I don't think I can change enough. I don't want to have to change well. I'm like, you don't have to change. Mm. What happens is you kind of do change. Mm. You can't help it. It's not something that you are making happen. It's just something that happens. Right. You don't have to do anything. Just come yeah. and let God change you. Let the Holy Spirit work it out. That's, but they yeah. don't get it. I can't. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm still yeah. working on it. Good. 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 All right. Good stuff, guys. Um, yeah, next week uh, we'll have a little bit more comfortable atmosphere and and, uh, and dive into the rest of chapter one. So if you want to read ahead, you can read that. And then that'll be good. What, do this. Let's just uh, close in prayer. Would you just huddle up with five or six people and just pray together? Just just want pick one person to lead you in prayer and just pray. Okay? All right.